0: As goes New Hampshire, so goes the nation. The Granite State's mantra will likely be put to the test in this Tuesday's New Hampshire primary. First, former President Trump trounced his competitors in last week's Iowa caucus the biggest margin of victory in the history of the state's Republican caucuses. Has his momentum been slowed in the days leading up to the New Hampshire primary? Meanwhile, after the Granite State refused to accept second place to South Carolina in the Democratic National Committee's primary calendar, President Biden is not on the ballot. That isn't stopping local Democrats from leading a write-in campaign for him. Plus, a new study suggests New Hampshire's primary could be impacted by an influx of new voters, potentially as many as 245,000 new voters. Two days before Tuesday's New Hampshire primary, our New Hampshire insiders are back. Later in the show, perhaps you've walked by the statue of a well-dressed man with his dog in the back bay without the slightest clue of its relevance. It's Robert Burns, the national poet of Scotland, whose legacy is celebrated annually by local Scottish groups.
1: His relatability and his empathy for the common people uh, resonated with a lot of Scots and helped solidify his status as the National Bard of Scotland. The inaugural
0: Not Your Usual Burns Night takes off next weekend, an event honoring the famous poet as well as the cultural heritage of Scots in Boston. But first, joining me remotely, our New Hampshire insiders, Arnie Arneson, former New Hampshire Democratic legislator, nominee for governor and candidate for U.S. Congress, and host of WNHN's The Attitude with Arnie Arneson. Hi, Arnie. Always a pleasure to be back. Also with me, Paul Steinhauser, national politics reporter for Fox News and campaign columnist for the Concord Monitor. Welcome, Paul. Great to be back. All right, let's jump in. So Trump comes out of Iowa with with a 30-point historic win and lead um, and 20 delegates. Uh, That leaves DeSantis with nine, Haley with eight delegates um, at this point, uh, what I have read in, in terms of the latest polls, and you two can correct me because you may have even uh, newer information, uh, Haley is 15 points behind um, Trump, though she's tied in a poll with another poll with him. Uh, nationally, she's uh, 12 points or is it the other way around? I can't remember. I don't know where that leaves DeSantis um, and uh Trump in the is. dust. In and, the dust. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Anyway, so that's where we are. Jump in and tell me um, what you know about the latest polls and how's it looking for what we assume looks like an inevitable Trump win.
1: And let's just start with Iowa because that was a, just an overwhelming victory. He won 98 of the 99 counties in the state. He obliterated the previous margin of victory by a Republican in the caucuses. Uh, So, I mean, this was just a massive, massive victory. And another sign that this party, you know, years after he's left the White House and even after the January 6th, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol, he still has this party very, very firmly in its grips.
0: Hold on right there for me, Paul, because I want to just play just the tiniest clip from Trump talking about his victory after the Iowa caucus.
1: I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time and most importantly We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all.
0: Go ahead, Paul.
1: Yeah, I like how he says Iowa. Yes, that's (laughs) an interesting pronunciation. All all that said, um, you know, New Hampshire is a very, very different electorate, and probably not as hospitable to the former president one bit. Remember, uh, you know, New Iowa is a very conservative red state nowadays. Used to be a purple state. Now, very clearly red. New Hampshire. One of the top battleground states in the country and a state where independent voters, we call them undeclared up here, make up 40 percent of the electorate. And they have long played a very influential role in both the Republican and Democratic presidential primaries over the years in the in this state's storied primary. And, and that's what we're looking at, the moderate electorate and the independents and where they go and how much they can help Nikki Haley try to close the gap. Your, most of the polls, as you mentioned, indicate she's down by uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 points. There was one poll that did seem to be an outlier that had it uh, uh, much, much closer. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, Arnie is absolutely right. You know, Ron DeSantis is in the dust. He's in the single digits. Pretty clear he's living to trying to live to fight another day in South Carolina. He knows South uh, New Hampshire is not going to provide him. Any comfort. Let's take a listen to both Nikki and
0: uh Ron DeSantos. They're very different responses to the Iowa caucus results. So first, here's Nikki Haley.
2: I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person
0: race. <laughs> and here's Ron DeSantis. In spite of all of that that they
1: threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. <laughs>
2: Okay, Arnie. All right. So first of all, uh, I love you, Paul. But kind of you kind of puffed this piece up. The story of Iowa is a story that of uh, the entire GOP electorate in Iowa, which there are a significant amount because it is a nuclear red state today. Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Uh, only. 14 to 15 percent actually showed up to punch that caucus vote on uh, on on caucus night. Only 14 to 15 percent. Obviously, it was the weather. It was frigid cold. There was lots of snow. But uh, I just want people to understand: if there was passion, it wasn't so passionate that they were willing to sort of you know go through this incredible you know winter thrust in order to vote in the caucus. So let's start with the fact that it was a tiny tiny vote. Number one. Number two, uh, Donald Trump was much better organized this time than he was four years ago. I mean, there's no question he had great people on the ground, no matter what he was doing. I mean, he was only campaigning in a courtroom anyway. He never showed up anywhere. So the only debates he likes to do are debates with judges. But it didn't matter that he wasn't in Iowa. It didn't matter that he really wasn't focusing on Iowa because he had an incredible ground game compared to what he had four years ago. And that ground game produced 51% of what? Of 14% of the GOP voters. Now let's talk about Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was not running a grassroots campaign in Iowa. She was running an AstroTurf campaign in Iowa. She was basically funded by, RF, uh, by Americans for Prosperity, the Koch brothers group. They were the ones that were like bringing people in to organize for her. And as a result, it didn't surprise me that she came in third because it wasn't a real grassroots campaign. It was an AstroTurf campaign. Ron DeSantis, however, had been spending a lot of time, a lot of money. He had Governor Reynolds in his back pocket. She endorsed him very early on. He also had um, the big evangelical Vander Plaats with, what is it, Family Leader, or whatever, also endorsing him. So so with the real evangelical base, he actually had support and he had organization that didn't make a difference, however, because now you've got the MAGA evangelical and the evangelical evangelical and the MAGA evangelical showed up for Donald Trump and he got that 51 percent. But that doesn't really prove anything. And I think what's so interesting is that you heard from Nikki a lot about what you heard with Bill Clinton. Remember when Bill Clinton came in second and you thought he came in first? <laughs> well, <laughs> Nikki Haley saw her ticket being punched. I don't know what she was looking at, but she came in third. Now the question is, what's going to happen here? And I think, Paul, you are absolutely right. Uh, the undeclareds are going to make all the difference, all the difference. And then the question becomes, what do they do? First of all, and I think you know this, Paul, about four to 5,000 Democrats switched from being a Democrat to becoming an undeclared before the primary. That's very, very interesting. And part of the reason they were willing to do that is that they were being courted by Chris Christie, who really was the only one speaking out against Donald Trump. Well, then Chris Christie punted and left the race. So now the question is, who, where do those voters go, those Chris Christie voters go? And I'm just going to tell you that Nikki Haley is not Chris Christie light. She is MAGA polite. Let me repeat that. She is not Chris Christie light. She is MAGA polite. She puts on her pearls. She puts on her pink skirt. She puts on her heels. But when you look at her ultimate political agenda, it is very much like Donald Trump, even when it comes to softening on the abortion story. What Donald Trump is now saying about abortion is what Nikki is now saying about abortion because they realize it's the third rail. So it's going to be very interesting to
0: see where those undeclareds go. Let me just follow up something um, because you mentioned the super PAC support that Nikki Haley has. They immediately coming out of Iowa, whether she was third or second, put out a new ad and here it is. So this is Um, Nikki Haley declaring, really, that Donald Trump is aiming for her. Of all the Republicans running for president, why is Donald Trump only attacking Nikki Haley? Because Trump knows Haley's the only one who can beat him. As governor, Nikki Haley cut taxes for small businesses by 40%. And now she's pledging to eliminate the federal gas tax. Want an 80-year-old name from the past? or a new generation of conservative leadership. SFA Fund Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. So now, Paul, um, I'd love you to respond to whatever you may see about the impact of this ad um, and the astroturfism of it, as, as, uh, as um, um, Arnie has said. And also... The impact of the withdrawals of the most recent candidates. So that would be not only Chris Christie, but also Vivek Ramaswamy and also Asa Hutchinson. I know people don't remember that he was in the race, but he was. Um, And I'd love your take on where do those votes go if they go any place at all. To mention that Vivek did give his support to Trump, but to my knowledge, the rest of them have not.
1: You know, politics is all about spin, right? So starting Monday night in Des Moines, West Des Moines, where she was giving her speech, Nikki Haley, even though she came in third, instantly started declaring it a two-candidate race between herself and Donald Trump, uh, which was very perplexing to Team DeSantis because he came in second, not Nikki Haley. She's been repeating that nonstop. I interviewed her just a few hours ago up here in New Hampshire, the same thing, and she also that ron desantis is quote-unquote invisible not only in new hampshire where he's only pulling in the single digits but also in her home state of south carolina where desantis hopes to uh, make a final stand it, it seems. as for the candidates that dropped out yeah let's start with christy he was he had the more support of the two he was polling anywhere from nine to twelve percent when he dropped out of the race uh he made it very clear he would not be endorsing nikki haley both in that Hot mic moment, and also in his speech in Windham, New Hampshire, when he did suspend his campaign. All that said, I think it's pretty clear that a lot—not all, but a lot—of his supporters, and I've talked to them. In fact, I, I'm related to a few of them. Uh, <laughs> will probably vote for Nikki Haley. They may, you know, hold their nose, but they will vote for Nikki Haley because they uh, can't fathom the uh, the idea of Donald Trump as their party standard bearer. Or uh, so that'll happen, but n- but not again. Most but not all. As for Raman Swamy, he was always part of MAGA world, and so many of his supporters were probably not even backing him but going to vote for Donald Trump. So that vote, which was maybe 6 or 7% at best, goes instantly, instantly to Donald Trump. And, and, and that's what brings Trump to right around 50%, if you believe these polls. And if he does score another 50% or more here in New Hampshire after doing the same thing in Iowa, as I already pointed out, it was a very small electorate. Not only the chilly weather, but also the idea that Trump was going to win big, kind of depressed uh, turnout. It was 110,000. Eight years ago, when Trump narrowly lost to Ted Cruz, it was 186,000. So, yeah, it was it was very depressed turnout. But um, in New Hampshire, we were hoping for a little more robust turnout. And we'll find out on Tuesday night. Uh, Let me follow up, because
0: one of the things that Chris Christie's campaign was characterized as was chief critic of of former President Trump, uh, to that to a much smaller degree. Again, Asa Hutchinson is not a name people had heard in recent weeks. He too was a critic of of President Trump, and Nikki Haley has been soft critic of President Trump, not a fierce one. Um, Desantis less so. So does that that little piece, that ability to be critical, even if not heavily critical, draw some of their voters to her. Well, she
2: says, for example, that, you know, she would pardon him if she became president. OK, and, and and then at the same time, she says, you know, but if he's in if he's in court and he's found guilty, he needs to be accountable. Well, wait a minute. If he's going to be accountable, then why would you pardon him? Okay, so this is like this is accountability with no accountability because if I become president, guess, guess what? You, I punch another card. It's called get out of jail card, and that's what she's saying. So I think the problem with with Nikki and the problem with this whole campaign and this whole primary is that nobody has focused on the issues. We've all focused on Trump. Biden is focused on Trump, even though he's not here, but he sends in his cabinet people here. Um, Nikki has focused on Trump, but she really hasn't because she doesn't want to offend the Trump base. But there really hasn't been a discussion on the issues, really about abortion, really about immigration, really about small business, really about wealth. It's all that I will not be the chaos candidate. That's her big line. Her big takeaway line is I will not be the chaos candidate. And Ron DeSantis says, you know, I'm not really in New Hampshire. I'll see you in South Carolina. Because he doesn't have Americans for Prosperity. And he doesn't have Governor Sununu putting his hands on him, basically saying, you know, you're my candidate. But I think what's really interesting this time is that you have undeclared. Now, the question is, are they going to go? into the Democratic ballot and they're going to write in Joe Biden, which is going to have absolutely no meaning, but they're being encouraged to do it, but it won't even be counted by the Democratic Party. So you could do that, but what's the heavy lift? Or you could look at Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson and I'm yawning, all right? So there you get nothing there. On the Republican side, if you wanted Chris Christie and he's gone and you know that Nikki is MAGA polite and not Chris Christie light, then what could you do? And here's what I've been hearing from some people. They're talking about writing Joe Biden in, not being Because it's about Biden, but it's because how do you spell democracy? Hmm. B I D E N. That's how you spell democracy. You see, the rest of the candidates spell fascism or fascism light, or Donald Trump, I don't want to offend you. There is no one left that you can actually check a box for that really stands for democracy and the integrity of going forward after November 2024. And the way you do that is you write in Joe Biden because that's how you're putting your stamp on democracy. You
0: want it both for Republicans and for Democrats. Um, I just want to follow up with uh, both of you to point out that Nikki Haley seems to be a very smart strategic move, said coming out of Iowa, Okay, since it's just the two of us um, and uh, former President Trump has said, I'm not going to debate, I'm therefore not going to debate. So if you talk about having an opportunity for people to hear them on the, quote, issues, all of them, um, you know, there is no opportunity, Paul, uh, because because she said she wasn't going to do one of them. Then I think CNN then backed out, too. So there were two that were scheduled for New Hampshire and now there's none.
1: That yeah, debate we saw in Des Moines, Iowa about a week ago was probably the last debate in the Republican primaries. And it may be the last debate, especially if we end up, and it sure looks like we will, with a Donald Trump Joe Biden rematch uh, in the general election. We may not have a general election debate. So, yeah. uh, uncharted territory, really sad this is happening. But uh, unfortunately, that may be the scenario going forward. Uh, are they talking about the issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I go to a lot of these campaign events, and, and it's pretty clear that there are some dramatic differences between Haley and Trump on the issues, uh, especially when it comes to foreign policy. She's much more of a well, globalist foreign policy, yes. yeah, than he is when he's more of an isolationist and a nationalist. So there are some clear differences there. And you hear about this on the stump. It just doesn't get a lot of attention in the media because we tend to go where the spice is, and the spice is often not with the policy but with the politics. So that's pretty clear.
0: All right. Well, now let's talk about this right in vote. So, well,
2: but, but before we get there, let me let me just say one more thing though. Um, but again, I want to I want to compare and contrast uh Ron DeSantis on abortion versus Nikki and Trump on abortion. And what we're really hearing, and on the stump, I am paying attention to what they're saying. Uh, and what they are doing is they suddenly realized that after the Supreme Court overturned Roe, that had always been the right wing sacred cow, okay? They were always able to go to abortion because it never was a reality. They always had to say, oh, look at Roe, look at Roe. Well, now, you know, they, the, the dog caught the bus. What does that mean? They are now fomenting public unrest by talking about what? about immigration. Immigration is now the number one issue. It is not going to be foreign policy. I I hate to break it to you. I know they're different on foreign policy. But in an interesting way, immigration is also sort of a a closet foreign policy issue because we're going to make you safe. We're going to build the border. We're going to get rid of birthright citizenship, both Nikki as well as, as Donald Trump want to get rid of birthright citizenship. Both of them want to round up the undocuments and send them home. So what's really interesting to me is there is an issue. It used to be abortion. It used to be something that would really appeal to the evangelicals, but the evangelicals got what they wanted because Donald Trump packed the court, so now what they're doing is they're going back to the evangelicals, and they're talking about the other, and the other is an immigrant, and what is so interesting is that, ask Nikki Haley about her family. She comes from a family of immigrants. She was born to two people that weren't even naturalized citizens yet, and yet she wants to get rid of birthright citizenship. It's like she wants to shut the door after she got here, but then all of a sudden, she's now telling everyone to be afraid of of the migration problem and the Immigration problem, but they don't have a solution except to say no.
0: Well, I will point out that uh, former President Trump has uh, re-instigated uh, <laughs> his birther camp- conspiracy campaign against her, uh, uh, as he did with President uh, former President Obama. She wasn't born here, so she's not real, so she shouldn't be uh, running for president. But I will say, well, of course she was. But I'm. But what I will say, Paul, is. That doesn't seem to have caught fire yet. I mean, he sort of introduced it on social media. He hasn't been much on the stump saying it. I suppose we hear more of that in the last days because as she tries to close this gap, what what do you think? What are you hearing?
1: Yeah, he actually did start mentioning it in a campaign event uh, uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And, And yeah, I mean, he's starting to pick up the rhetoric against Haley. He spent months, him and his political orbit, his ally spent months going after Ron DeSantis and, and shredding DeSantis to, to bits. That was one of the reasons DeSantis saw his, uh, his numbers fade throughout 2023. Now he's turning his fire on Haley as she's the next threat. And, and as to Arnie's point, listen, abortion has been a humongous winning issue for Democrats yes. ever since that massive. A, thank situation. you. Thank you. And, you know, President Biden and his campaign. Again, uh, he'll be giving another major speech, I think, on primary day, on New Hampshire primary day on the 23rd of January. He'll be giving a major speech on abortion. It's an issue they want to spotlight. At the same time, you know, what's happening at the southern border has been getting a ton of media attention the last couple of years, and that is a winning issue for Republicans, all of them. And these are going to be two competing issues we're going to be hearing once we get in general election mode in the summer and in the autumn. If you're
0: just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are our New Hampshire insiders, Arnie Arneson of WNHN and Paul Steinhauser of Fox News and the Concord Monitor. We're discussing New Hampshire's critical role in the presidential primaries. Now, I want to talk about the write-in campaign, uh, such as it is uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, Biden's not on the ballot, as a reminder for everyone listening, because the Democratic National Committee changed the calendar and put South Carolina first. Um, However, New Hampshire has actually a law that says we go first constitutionally. So their primary is going forward, certainly with the Republicans, and it just meant that uh, in the end, having staked their Place in South Carolina as the first primary for Democrats that a President Biden is not on the campaign. Some in the state thought that's not a good look, so let us. At least try to do a write-in campaign. A campaign, as I understand, it has a seventy-thousand-dollar budget, which is nothing. No, it actually um, has more. There's okay. there's another
2: there's, there's campaign literature that's now showing up with a, a different signature on it. It isn't necessarily the Democratic Party, uh, but they must be spending quite quite a bit more because the mailers that are coming out now indicate it's a bigger bigger bite than seventy thousand. It's just not necessarily
0: from the party itself. But now, we have, most recently, that you can consider these people gadflies or you consider this a very serious threat to the write-in campaign. Um, there is a group that is asking for people to write in. It's called Vote Ceasefire. It's a newly formed grassroots group, so new it's like two weeks old, asking people, don't write in Biden's name, write in Ceasefire, because they see that as a way of getting the Democrats' attention about um, paying attention to the cause of a ceasefire in the... Hamas um, Israeli war. Um, And to their point, the, you know, writing in Biden doesn't mean anything because that's not the first primary. South Carolina is. So let's make a statement. So, what say you all in terms of what you're hearing from New Hampshire voters about both of these competing initiatives?
2: Well, you just mentioned that it was very new. But here's the good news being a very new write in in the age of social media. Yeah, it's perfect, you know what I mean? It, in a way, it gets everywhere. So I'm looking at an article at In-Depth New Hampshire about, about this vote and ceasefire. Guess what I just got in my email box? I just got a piece from The Nation magazine. The Nation magazine is talking about vote ceasefire, not just for New Hampshire, but talking about it in possibly other states around the country. I just heard that Slate.com just called one of the organizers of vote ceasefire. They too are picking it up. You don't need a lot of time because the Democrats don't have a lot of reason to even show up in this primary because because it has no meaning. So, you know, writing in Joe Biden, Joe Biden hasn't been in the state of New Hampshire since 2022. All right. Like, what do you get with this? But we do know that a lot of people are absolutely appalled at what they're seeing in Gaza. They were appalled after what Hamas did on October 7th. Don't get me wrong. The inhumanity is unbelievable. But the inhumanity now that we're seeing in Gaza is really causing a lot of people to say, what are you doing? Why are you aiding and abetting Bibi? Bibi is basically Trump, only he lives in Israel. That's and Benjamin so what looking-
0: Netanyahu for people Sorry. who don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you.
2: And so as a result, they're trying <laughs> to figure out, well, how do I message in a primary that has no meaning? How do I send a message to the Democratic Party about my concerns, especially as it relates to how we're now appearing on the world stage? You saw what just happened with South Africa and the UN. They're looking at the death and destruction in Gaza. It is absolutely wipe, wiping, wiping out all those people. That you can call it genocide or not call it genocide, but I'll call it what? Death. And that's what you're getting. So as a result, they're now moving to suggest to people, don't write in Joe Biden. It has no meaning. Write in ceasefire. That's something you could write it on the Republican side. It's something you could write in on the Democratic side. And here's the question for the Secretary of State. How will we know how many people actually write in this word ceasefire? And it turns out that according to the Secretary of State's office, what they do is they collect all the non-named people, all right? And they call it the scatter vote. But once you see a significant name or issue or something coming up over and over again, then they pull that out of scatter and they start actually collecting the numbers. So if the numbers are significant for ceasefire, ceasefire, you will then see what that number is on the Republican ballot as well as on the Democratic ballot. And my understanding is, is that a lot of the ceasefire people are going to college campuses around the state of New Hampshire and telling those students, I know you're feeling disengaged. You're upset about the fact that did you get your student loans you know, l- eliminated. You're really looking at Joe Biden, and you're not passionate. But the one thing they may be passionate about is what they're seeing going on in Gaza. And this may be a reason for them to come into the voting booth not for Joe, but for this. So ceasefire might have a bigger turnout than we suspect.
0: All right. How do you feel about that, Paul? Are you hearing anybody chattering about that?
1: Well, there's been chatter in recent days about that, but let's look at the bigger picture here. You know, you talked about the DNC changing the calendar. Remember, this came from President Biden in the first place, right? Right. This was was back in late 2022. This was Joe Biden's uh, plan to move South Carolina to the top Remember, he came in fifth year after finishing fourth in Iowa. It, it was that landslide in February uh, of, of 2020 that helped him in the landslide in South Carolina that uh, boosted him towards the nomination and then the White House. So there's a lot of anger among Democrats in this state about what he did to New Hampshire. And as Arnie mentioned, he hasn't been here in over a year and a half. All that said, all that said, and there is a lot of anger at him, uh, New Hampshire Democrats cannot fathom the idea of Donald Trump returning to the White House. That may be enough to uh, salvage President Biden in this state and prevent him from an embarrassment at the ballot box.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Arnie Arneson of WNHN and Paul Steinhauser of Fox News and the Concord Monitor. We're talking about the latest news in the lead up to Tuesday's New Hampshire primary. Okay, so here's where some other votes could be. This is fascinating to me that this uh, new study has shown that there are more than one-fifth, 22% of New Hampshire's potential primary voters are new because in 2020 they were not old enough to vote or live someplace else. So now young people, new migrants, who knows where they may go on with these slate of candidates, but that could potentially... Um, And by the way, that number translates to more than 245,000. That's a lot of votes if people are inspired to go to the primary. I'd like to get both of your takes on could this shake up what people are predicting happens during the primary?
2: So, so, Paul, I have a question for you. Have you seen them organizing registration for them? Because I want to remind you that 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 number is huge. Okay, that 22% is huge. Uh, I wish a lot about 6% of them are actually young people who are now 18 years of, of age, and they'll be 18 on the day of the primary. Kelly, you can register to vote on the day of the primary you can register to vote. So now the question is, who's got the GOTV that's not just get out the vote, but get out the registration and vote? And I don't know how many people are actually doing that because that is potential. We don't know where they're going to vote. We don't know how they're going to react. And yet if someone had spent the time to figure out and ID them, it might be significant. We have seen that once before, Paul. And you know when that happened? It happened with Ross Perot. Because when Ross Perot ran for president, what was so interesting, and I know because that was the year I ran for governor, it turned out that the second highest percentage of Ross Perot votes in the United States was New Hampshire. And a lot of those voters had no history of ever voting, Callie, but they did on election day. They did on election day. And what was so remarkable about that Ross Perot voter was not only had they never voted before, but about two thirds of that Ross Perot voter voted for Ross Perot and then just left. They didn't vote for anyone else. So Mm -hmm. now the question is, has anyone actually focused on that new number that you were just describing? And if they have, have they identified them and have they figured out how to walk them to registration as well as to voting?
0: All right, Paul, what do you say?
1: There are groups on on both sides of the aisle that are, you know, that focus towards youth voting that are making efforts. I, I don't know how successful they are right now. I will say this, though. Overall, this is great news for New Hampshire, which has always had an issue with keeping young people in the state, yep. right? This is known as an aging state. So the idea that the news that, that the, these people in their late teens and 20s are staying in New Hampshire after growing up here or moving into the state, that's terrific. That's great news for New Hampshire, regardless of whether they're on the right, on the left. That's inconsequential. Exactly. The fact that, the demogra- you know, that they're boosting a demographic is terrific.
0: All right. So uh, in one sentence, what's your prediction for... Tuesday's primary each of you
2: Oh my goodness Donald Trump Donald Trump Donald Trump Ron DeSantis we're going to need a microscope I'm just going to tell you <laughs> the right. number of votes he's going to get and and it will be really interesting to see whether Sununu is as persuasive as he is for Nikki Haley and whether her astroturf campaign is going to be successful okay. I don't know it'll be but it'll be it'll be Trump and I think Trump will get at least 50%
0: All right Paul what's your prediction
1: I'm not in a. Uh, pre, I'm a reporter, so I'm I'm not a pundit like uh, my friend Arnie, and uh, so I'm going to stay away from predictions. What I'm looking for, though, obviously, is 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 the uh, a the percentage of independents in the Republican where where the vote comes from. Hmm. The higher the independents, the better it is for Haley. And of course, does Trump top fifty or not? He did it in Iowa. Can he do it in New Hampshire? That's what I'm looking for.
0: Ooh, that sounds dramatic. All right. Well, I thank you all for your, your wit and wisdom um, and uh, for joining me. <laughs> okay, take care. Good luck, Paul. <laughs> Arnie Arneson is a former New Hampshire Democratic legislator, nominee for governor and candidate for U.S. Congress and host of WNHN's The Attitude with Arnie Arneson. Paul Steinhauser is a national politics reporter for Fox News and campaign columnist for the Concord Monitor. Coming up, the savory meat pudding haggis, artisan scotch whiskey, and the poetry of Robert Burns are three mainstays of Scottish culture. And the first ever Not Your Usual Burns Night will feature plenty of that next weekend. The event is a celebration of all things Scotland with a focus on Robert Burns, the country's national poet with whom locals have a strong connection. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.